0: From HerbMentor.com, this is HerbMentor Radio. You're listening to HerbMentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Jim McDonald. Jim is a self-taught herbalist and herbal teacher. His classes are based in Michigan, and you can learn about his courses and other work on his website, herbcraft.org. Herb, herbcraft.org. That's Herbcraft.org. Also has some wonderful articles and excellent resources. So, welcome, Jim. How you doing?
1: I'm doing really well today. How are you?
0: Doing great. You know, you were uh, you were um, just telling me. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But but first of all, I just wanted to say that I'm really excited to uh, to um, to do one of your herb walks coming up at the ninth International Herb Symposium in June in Massachusetts. That's really exciting. I'm glad you're out there doing that.
1: Yeah, I'm incredibly happy to be out there too. I mean, that's a real super honor when that uh, panned out a couple of years ago. I was just like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this!" You know, you you get there a little bit early and everyone else is there, and you're like, it, "It's kind of hard not to feel like even a little bit starstruck,"
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: which is silly because most of these people are so darn approachable and nice and everything. But right, because
0: um, like, because like every person on your herbal bookshelf is there,
1: right. <laughs> All right, yeah, and I think the coolest thing about a conference like that, that has a lot of people, because it can be sort of frustrating when you're trying to decide, like, oh, my God, there's seven different classes I want to go to in this session. I have to choose between one. But one of the great things about a conference like that is you see how many different types of people and types of approaches that everyone's coming from, mm-hmm. and it really just reinforces that there is absolutely no one way that's like the pinnacle to reach to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In terms of the study of uh, herbalism, you know that there's just so many different people. There's the very clinical people, there's the very village herbalist people, there's the you know the kind of magical people, the folk people, and, and no one's better than anyone else. You know, they all just enrich the whole. Hello. Yeah, they all oh, just uh, in, enrich the the whole nature of uh, herbalism.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry, I dropped out for a second. Um, so well I'm really what I'm really excited is that. Um, you know, and and thanks a lot for uh, letting me join. I'm gonna I'm gonna join you on uh, one of your herb walks and take the video camera along. So those people listening right now in a couple of months from now, I'll be able to post the herb walk video uh, on HerbMentor.com so people can get to see you in action there. So that's kind of a new thing we get to do is play around with like uh, actually adding that uh, aspect. So. I'll be uh, hanging out in the background unobtrusively taking, uh, (laughs) I'll hook my little microphone up to you. I have a little wireless and you won't even know. Nobody will even see that it's on you.
1: Good. Maybe I can get Bevan to tell me where the lobelia is. So we can have people eat lobelia and then take what happens.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it can be like a reality show, like experiment, like you know, like a, <laughs> a, a herb, an herbal um, experiment show. What happens when you get people to eat herbs that we're not sure what's going to happen? Like we can do all the things we always wonder what would happen if we ate them. Like you know, what happens if you really eat a bunch of poison hemlock, or what happens if you really go and uh, and eat uh, the red elderberry? <laughs>
1: You know, I, I generally do encourage people to try those kinds of experiments, but not ones that I haven't done myself. So <laughs> right, exactly. Um, <laughs> have, have you, the what's the most,
0: uh, have you, Have you? like, do you know anyone or have you, like, tried some of those really, like, little, not that we're encouraging this, folks, but they're great, makes great stories. Have you, what's your, uh, you know, what, what's. The,
1: the, what, well, what, let's see. The worst thing that I ever did um, <laughs> was to ingest a small quantity of, Calamus essential oil, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't good. It was definitely very distressing to the GI tract uh, pretty much all the way around. So I, I wouldn't recommend that. I actually pretty characteristically tell people, you know, essential oils, no, you don't want to consume those.
0: No, definitely I mean, there's not. A, there's
1: a few that you can, you know, some of the mints and stuff that they put in candies. But, right, no, right, 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 right. I sure. know that, that sometimes the aromatherapy people, there's, there's a rogue element that's a little bit cavalier about using the undiluted ones and... uh Having, having done it, I say from experience that it's not the greatest thing to do.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, one time I had Steven Buhner on the show, he's talking about like, oh, you know, sometimes I tried a little poison hemlock. I'm like, oh, don't tell
1: people. <laughs> well, I actually know a guy who uses poison hemlock. Mm. Um, that uh, it's, it's a very good, because poison hemlock is a paralytic poison. Mm-hmm. And so for some people that have like, real serious nerve issues and muscle tension Mm -hmm. associated with paralysis in their lower limbs, they can use very small doses of it uh, and use that medicinally. But the problem with that isn't that there's not an appropriate medicinal use, is that having a quart jar or a pint jar of uh, poison hemlock tincture around the house, Mm -hmm. it's just such a huge liability, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't know what can happen. If you have a, you know, a half gallon of dandelion tincture and someone, you know, takes a swig of it, it's no big deal. But when you get into those stronger botanicals, uh, it's a little bit uh, sketchy to have them around because Exactly. To, to non-herb people, all mason jars filled with strange green liquid look kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> and why I always tell people to label. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you know you were just saying jim uh like uh actually nobody's heard this yet before i hit the record button and i said oh no no no! i want to ask you about that in a second when i hit the after i hit the record button because i didn't want anyone to miss the fact that you know it's early spring where you live and you were just saying that you were out uh, gathering some uh willow bark because you had some down trees
1: yeah actually
0: willow flowers well, oh flowers i'm sorry Okay, so tell us well, about I'm, I'm, that and what you're going to do. I'm getting the
1: bark, too. I'll, I'll probably get that in the next couple of days. But the flowers, they're there a little bit more. Um, what's the tail end of their season, too? They're kind of, you know, uh, withering out. But uh, we had a, a bad storm come through here and knock down trees all over the place. And uh, as always happens with bad storms, you know, the willows get just ravaged. And, you know, they recover pretty well because if, even if a branch falls in the mud, it'll it'll root and grow. Mm-hmm. But they're all over the ground, so I just picked as many flowers. I was uh, in Mississippi last March, I think, and uh, an herbalist down there named uh, Daryl Martin was uh, talking about uh, using willow flowers. And If you read about them in, in a book that has any information about them, you'll read that uh, black willow flowers are an anaphrodisiac. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was explaining that it's not so much like, oh, you have someone you know who's really sexed up and they need to tone that down. But that it's a good nerving for people who are either, like, really angst-ridden because of sexual frustration mm-hmm. or for, like, uh, teenagers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, all their hormones are raging and they're just, you know, irritable and cranky and ornery and all that.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: a very specific nerving for that kind of a hormonal irritation and, oh. and anger and frustration.
2: Okay.
0: So, so you know, I
1: hear, I hear about something like that, and I'm like, I need to...
0: Try it, so. right, 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 or find a teenager, right? I mean, our, <laughs> right. our own kids aren't that old yet, so
1: stock <laughs> up now. Stock up now. How,
0: how old are you? How old are your kids? You have how many kids? I've
1: got uh, a little bit over one year old and a little bit over five year old, so they've uh-huh. got a ways
0: to go too. Uh, okay, yeah, I have a, I have a well, turning ten this year, so I, I'm at least starting to realize that it's a reality that I'm going to have a teenager. <laughs> I see it. Doesn't it? <laughs> I see it like, and it's in the future. It's really close, you know. So, um, uh, so, and then you said some bark, and you were saying something about like, you know, you're gathering branches higher up on the tree. Is that what you were telling me?
1: Well, um, one of the things that I like to do is because you can read. I mean, especially a lot of people don't harvest barks because people are sketchy about harvesting trees in general. Mm-hmm, you yeah. know, it's it's really funny that people will. Or not funny, but, you know, people will dig up a dandelion, and you dig it up, and that dandelion is dead. Right. But if you were to, say, like, cut down a tree to harvest the bark,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, generally people don't want to do that. Because, no. you know, we look at the tree and we say, oh, that tree has, you know, it's been around, it's longer lived. And, you know, that's, it's definitely something to think about. Is the fact that it's longer lived, does that make its life energy, you know, more valuable than the dandelion or something that, that only lives a couple years? Right. But, um... You'll you'll read about you know, what part of such and such bark should I use? Should I use the thin bark from the branches? Should I use the end of the twigs? Should I use the trunk bark? And it seems to me that the best way to figure that out is to you know try them all, mm-hmm. know what the differences are yourself, and you can you know do that experientially. If you have a, a storm like we did, I've got you know the ends of the twigs and the, the the younger slender branches with the really thin bark, and then the the big trunks are down. I can try all those out and I can taste them and use them myself and really kind of figure out what I like best. Mm -hmm. Or if I, you know, notice either just experientially or intuitively some difference of which one I prefer. Okay. And uh, that's something that I like to do as much as I can, you know, is you you, um, try things out for yourself because you can read in books lots of stuff and you can get great insights even from talking to other people. But the virtue of the plants is in the plants and a lot of stuff you just learn from them and you learn it by having this deeper relationship with them and trying them out and experiencing them and you know your your interaction with them your knowledge about them is all experience based
0: that's exactly what I wanted to get into too here is the first thing and it was great we had that uh, little willow the willow uh, gathering mission as a as a segue here because um, I'm sure this is all ties into how you how you teach yourself or how did you teach yourself and why I like when I read your bio page at herbcraft.org. You know, you get that sense that you know here's someone who really uses it and these herbs and learned a lot because like uh, you hear the from a lot of folks that you know those people like you talking about at the IHS conference that you're like wow you know you say a little starch well a lot of the stories that when I when I hear when I'm interviewing them on Herbalist Radio a very similar story and that I don't want to say well someone say generation of herbalists or something like mm. you, like Rosemary Gladstar and that generation of herbalists when they all got started is they all have the same story is that the story is that um a similar story which is you know there there weren't really many books around when we started and we kind of had to learn by experimentation and then the books we wrote were based on our years of experimenting and um and yet today why it's a blessing to have so many incredible books and resources by these wonderful you know uh, you know like uh, when I say elders you know what i mean just like you know the right. together, elders of our of our community that have you know passed all that information with us um it can get in the it it is possible that this vast amount of resources can get in the way of people truly experiencing um herbs and to teach themselves through like the way you did
1: yeah absolutely you know it's um the real difference is whether people will because i've had people in classes and they'll say like you know oh i made a flower essence out of this plant or i sat down with it and I really came to this, you know, strong, intuitive understanding what the flower essence is for. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's great. That's just awesome.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But then I went and looked online at what the flower essence is used for, and it wasn't like what I got wasn't right. And I'm like, oh, no, what you got was totally right, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm Because it would be like if if I talked to seven people that met you, um, I would probably get the same overall picture, but because each of those seven people has an independent relationship with you, Mm -hmm. you know, some might know you from the Tracker School. Some might know you from Herb Mentor. Some might be old friends from high school or whatever. They've all got some different slant on it, or some different take on it. And there's not one of them that would be like the right, um, you know, and and your family who lives with you. You know, they probably have a, a much different take. people.
0: Oh yeah, you know, I'm sure they do.
1: <laughs> but uh, every you know every person's take on herbs, and when they get you know an intuitive understanding of something, they shouldn't try and verify it against something else and then take that other thing as being more important than their own experience um, because if you think about the really interesting uh... books on herbs they're not the ones that compile a whole bunch of information and put it together and tell you you know such profound things as like valerian will help you get to sleep and you know um, nettle is uh, really nourishing they're the ones that have these little idiosyncratic like insights about plants that are very very personal to the author mm-hmm. You know that those they're just more interesting because it's it's that relationship, that magic of that relationship that really comes through and you know sort of inspires you and, and makes you think in ways that maybe you wouldn't. And when we do that as well and we share what we learn, then we give that back. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really cool. I mean, that's one of the things I love about teaching classes is that I have students come and they say, "Oh, well, you know, I thought about this like this," and I'll be like, "Oh, really? You know, that's cool." You know, I want to learn as much as they want to learn, uh, and that's you know one of the real gifts of teaching is you get, you know, a room full of people and they all have their own experiences and their own insights. And you know, I've been doing it longer than most of them are doing it more intensely, but um, you know, I'm not really better than anyone else. I just have my own way with it.
2: Oh,
0: I, I love that that statement because it, what it does is it makes learning about herbs approachable to everyone. That it's not this exclusive thing, and it's not something that you need to go do a a long, intensive, scientific program on. Um, You know, you say on your website here, I'm just going to quote you here because it it really hit home, is uh, being with the plants creates relationships with them, relationships that change entirely one's understanding of their medicinal uses. So can you elaborate on that a little, Aaron?
2: Well.
1: One of the plants that, uh, I guess, when I was in college, I I basically, you know, Stephen Buhner has this great quote in his uh, Sacred Plant Medicine book where he says Mm -hmm. that, you know, prior to him really getting into herbalism, he understood plants as like the big ones were trees and the medium-sized ones were shrubs and the small ones were plants.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And I was very much like, exactly, I could have written that, you know, um, that same thing because that's how I felt about it. We did a lot of hiking and a lot of, you know, time out in nature and we canoed and we spent, you know, lots of time outdoors and just really love that but it was just a happenstance that uh, one of my roommates left a book out and i started getting interested in it and then herbalism just kind of happened to me mm-hmm. you know i wasn't even really interested in health a whole lot you know interesting but, uh, yeah yeah i was you know i was in college i was pretty wild
0: <laughs> well, what was your i mean you know what was your background where were you where did you think you were going
1: <laughs> i was a musician i wanted to play music oh <laughs> um and you know, I still play music, but i I definitely defer now to you know, oh, I can't come over and play tonight, I've got to go out and collect this or do that or I no, it's you know, more I'm like you're
0: fairly... you're you're changing diapers
1: or watching <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that and the other thing too um, yeah. but but I got into herbs and um you know one of the things that I don't remember quite how I came came across it, but uh I got some a uh, little bag of calamus root sweet flag mm-hmm. And I couldn't find a whole lot written about it other than that it was, like, good for digestion and all that. And I basically, I tasted it and I thought, oh, my God, this is horrible. You I know, mean, it's got this bitter flavor. <laughs> but there was something that when I chewed it, it, like, woke something up. And I would wander around and I'd go for a walk. And so I'd just nibble on it and, you know, a little nugget at a time and um, go for a walk. And I figured out a lot about that plant so I'm just basically walking around and chewing on it and thinking about it and feeling it, you know, mm-hmm. not just thinking about it cerebrally or mentally or intellectually, mm-hmm. but really feeling it and, and just kind of developing a relationship with it. You know, I'd go for a walk or I'd wander around and chew on it and uh, I got a sense for it. And doing that sort of taught me, Oh, so I can do this with other things too, because I would start to see little insights that I got about it
2: mm-hmm. written
1: down somewhere occasionally when I would come across something. Uh, and that really oh, no. interested me. Like, oh, wow, you know, this says something that I've thought before. And then I would see things that, you know, written about it that I didn't jive with. And I I wouldn't think that I was wrong, but I would, you know, respectfully disagree, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so that just sort of branched out. And I remember one day I was looking for a a bottle of something, and I opened up the cupboard, and I took took out a mason jar, and took out a mason jar, and took out a mason jar, and took out a mason jar. And as I was doing it, I realized that there's a whole lot of stuff in here that I didn't have necessarily the most concrete memories of actually making it all. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, wow, I ended up really getting into this.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, and
1: it's only gotten worse ever since. I, <laughs> you know, um, tincturing in jars and, you know, medicine-making in jars of dried herbs and, you know, all the different kinds of formulations, you use, oils and saps and all that, you know, the the glass part of it ends up being something akin to, like, You know those flower moss you get First you see one of them and then there's 12 And then there's 30 Mm -hmm. You know and then all of a sudden You can't put your dishes away because you've got covers of tinctures
0: (laughs) Well you know um, Okay So you're talking about relationships with the plants, and I can see you're going around and you're you know you're 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 getting to know them It's kind of like getting to know people you know you, you mm-hmm. have you only know people if you spend time with people, just like you can only know plants if you spend time with plants and I imagine you're using your senses right you're smelling you're tasting you're
1: yeah, and absolutely that's something I really teach in my classes is when I'm doing i d classes as uh-huh. he walks so as soon as it gets warm, I want to do all my classes outside where the plants are of course makes sense to me but um People want to look at it. They want to look at the shape. They want to know the, how many petals there are.
2: Mm-hmm. But I'm always
1: getting people, like, touch this because a burdock leaf has a very specific sort of feel to it. Like, I don't know another leaf that feels like a burdock leaf
2: mm-hmm.
1: or that feels like a colt's leaf
2: mm-hmm.
1: or that feels like a mullein leaf or a plantain leaf. They all have their own textures. They all have their own scents. They all have their own flavors. Um, they all have, you know, these little idiosyncratic things that your senses pick up without, you know, the use of your intellect, remembering what you read somewhere about them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And all of that, I mean, tied together really teaches you about that plant. You know, you you understand, like, I remember the first time that I found a plant, like, in the dark around a campfire. You know, Someone's like, oh, I'm getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And I... I walked around, and it was dark, and I sort of felt the ground with my feet. Mm -hmm. And I could feel, you know, a leaf, and I bent down, and I felt it, and I could feel that it was plantain, and I couldn't see it. But it had that rubbery texture. I could feel the leaves on the underside and, you know, the way the the leaves all come together. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so it's knowing a plant that intimately, you know, that you know all those aspects about it, which you don't get if you don't really spend time with the plant, you know. Uh, I felt so cool. I felt kind of like Aragorn when he goes out and he finds the Uh, ink spoil for Frodo,
0: and then you and but then I you took the plant in the dark, and then they had then they could use the plantain at night uh, to help with their mosquito bites. Right, right, perfect. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, and and it's like it get and when you're using your senses more and more, it just gets so in your memory and so in your ingrained in you that it's not like a conscious thing. You know, it's just like it just happens. It comes up. It's um, like one like uh the first time I understood this was when i was uh um i grew up when i was growing up as a kid i wasn't into this stuff at all of course you know just like every, you know any other suburban kid i guess what into whatever and uh and uh, but i used to get poison ivy a lot cuz i did used to play outside a lot you know i uh-huh. lived in the near the woods and and i did, was around you know my generation kids played outside in the woods before ataris and video games yeah, and whatnot. not and uh and so yeah and then so uh but uh, i had it so bad so many summers in a row um and then I'm out in Western Washington where there's no poison ivy. Um, and, but in Eastern Washington there is. And I hadn't seen poison ivy or been around it in, 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 in many years since I moved out here. So here I am on a trail in Eastern Washington, not even thinking that poison ivy exists out there. Uh-huh. When all of a sudden I just stop in my tracks and I just felt it. Like I yeah. was just like, and yeah, I wasn't conscious though. It was like, why am like, I? Why do I have that feeling? And then I looked all around me. You know, when you're startled a little, and then, and then, and then slowly something seeps into your consciousness, and I'm like, oh, I'm surrounded by poison
2: ivy. <laughs> I
1: had that exact same experience, and, and uh, you know, poison ivy is this awareness medicine. It's a really uh, incredible plant. It's actually one of my favorite plants. If 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 uh-huh. I had to do that impossible thing where someone says, like, tell me what your top five pretend plants are I would just have to include poison ivy because I have so much respect for it but um you know I've gotten just so attuned to it from from really paying attention to where it's at and how beautiful it is and how variant it can be because it can really look in, in so many different ways but it has these common threads that you know when I walk into its space I can feel it just the same mm-hmm. as like when you walk into a house mm-hmm. that no one's been in for a long time mm-hmm. you can feel it even without going and looking in all the rooms you know mm-hmm. to see whether someone's there Right. Or you know, when you get into the car, and, and I remember I had this experience once where I left a restaurant, and I got in the car, and I thought, Oh no, someone stole all my stuff and then I looked and I thought, This isn't my car. <laughs> it was just another car that looked like mine, parked right next to mine, <laughs> but before I noticed before I intellectually noticed that it, it was clean and didn't have stuff all over it, it just felt different, you know it smelled right. different like it's it you know it viscerally. I realized that before I intellectually realized that. You can do the same thing with plants, too. And, you know, the flavors and the textures and the feelings of plants, those are its language. That's mm-hmm. how it communicates with us.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, a lot of people um, use different techniques to, you know, talk to plants or communicate with plants. And many people feel like they'd really be blown away if the plant appeared to them as a person and spoke to them in some way and told them something so profound and um, I would I would feel that way, too. but Yeah, it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a plant, you know, that's based on an assumption that the plant is really rising to a higher level if it becomes less like a plant and more like a person
2: uh-huh.
1: and then communicates with you. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like that at all. I feel like, you know, sometimes they'll do that, but it's more that they're coming down to your level. But plants are communicating to us all the time. Their oh. aromas communicate to us. Their flavors mm-hmm. communicate to us. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're astringent, they're, that communicates to us the color of their flowers, the way they grow, their habitat, and those are all things that you can experience viscerally. Uh, viscerally, and um,
2: that, we do I think it with a, food. A great
1: I way mean, to learn herbalism.
0: We do it with food, and the food we eat are mostly plants. So it's like interesting that there's this this separation between, you know, the vegetables and the food or grains on our table that we know that we taste and smell and touch and texture and you know, if we're drinking wine, we smell the aroma. You know, we do all this yeah. with, with our food, yet when we people learn about plants, it seems harder, like like herbal and herbs, because there's some kind of separation in one in the wild
1: world. Right. Like, someone will say, like, well, what's the dose of bilberries that I should take? And I would be like, what's the dosage of blueberries to eat? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Bilberry is just a blueberry plant that happens to be from Europe. Right. You know? so it especially those those food type herbs you know it's it's really almost impossible to differentiate you know where the medicinal starts and where the food ends they're just mixed up together
2: mhm mhm
0: i guess that's just part of the journey and it seems like most of the time people are using more you new know, nutritious milder herbs and plants anyway because that's what most people teach about you know i mean
1: right and and that's um i have this this theory you know um mm-hmm. all throughout the country that people are really um, interested in native species and invasive species, and um, I've struggled with that myself because the response to invasive species, um, which would include most of our favorite herbs to use, you know, Mm -hmm. dandelions and St. John's wort and burdock and Queen Anne's place, all these plants that we just love, um, some people would like to get rid of because they're not from here. But I don't think that plants are native to... You know, geographical locations, I think they're native to conditions. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so when we alter the conditions of a a place, we change that habitat. And there are certain plants, most of the ones we think of as weeds, Mm -hmm. that they're native to where people are. Because wherever people are, we disturb the soil, we compact the soil, Um, you know, we till up the soil and all that. And there are certain plants that will just grow um, in those environments, and dandelions, and plantain, and burdock, and yellow dock, all, the, all these wonderful weed plants. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when I got your Wildcraft game, mm-hmm. um, all but two of the plants in there grow in my yard.
0: <laughs> that was the point, yeah.
1: <laughs> and the reason that that applies, because you live in, in the West Coast, and I live in Michigan, mm-hmm. and I think that a lot of people, you know, for they don't live in a really arid region, um, probably find that, too, that these are familiar plants that, that grow all over, is because the habitat of those plants is where people are, exactly. And and so uh, my friend uh, went down to Peru, and he said he would walk through the rainforest, and he would you know walk for a half hour and not see the same plant twice. And then he would come back into the village, and he would find plantain and yellow dock and dandelion. You know, that's that's their habitat. That's where they're from. And so those are really wow. good plants to learn, because they like people. They want to be around people, and they. Um, actually repair yeah. what we do You know, uh, dandelion enriches the soil you know we till up the soil and wreck it and remove the topsoil and dandelion builds that back up burdock builds that back up so they're sort of antidoting us
2: hmm.
1: uh, that makes them good uh, good plants to learn I remember another time uh, we had a really bad drought here and uh, even the, the trees were wilted I remember eating a sassafras leaf it was like August and the sassafras leaf is normally very mucilaginous mm-hmm was wilted and it didn't have any slime to it and uh, I walked out into this field and there was wild bergamot blooming and yarrow blooming and butterfly weed blooming and I looked real close at their petals and these teeny little crisp delicate petals were perfect they weren't wilted at all and I thought to myself well that's interesting because you know these plants are all diaphoretics they're herbs that help to you know clear heat from the body and that's what they're doing in their environment where they grow oh so it's it's carrying over that there's some kind of um, and I've never read that anywhere, but it was just this kind of aha that I had while I was out there, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of stuff that you learn and that you get when you really just think about herbs and feel herbs uh, on a very personal level.
2: Mm.
1: You know, sometimes I say you have to use your three eyes, and one, one eye is your intellect. Mm-hmm. You know, just like rational thought and reading and making you know logical conclusions and. One eye is like intuition, where something just comes to you, and then the other eye is is imagination, right. and it's not making up use for plants, but just thinking creatively, you know. Hmm. And and,
0: and, and, it's, and then that can, and then that toy ties into a story that you have with the plants. Because I, it was like one time when I was teaching, and I'm talking about you know, plantain and s- skin, and then I realized, wait a second, as I'm saying this, I'm like, this is healing the skin of the planet. Mm-hmm. and i'm like oh
2: right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know and I had that awesome.
0: real but then i think like there must be something like that for every plant that's around us but i don't always tune in or can't figure it out for all of them oh. and i don't try to but it's kind of like huh but uh,
2: it's, yeah, it's
1: great you get those epiphanies because you know the plants and you spend so much time with them you spend so much time thinking about them you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some people learn just through books and through, you know, reading about clinical trials. You know, I always think that, like, a, no, I'm not going to say a bad book, but a boring book to me is one that says the plant does something and it qualifies it with studies have shown,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: if I think. Or, like,
0: or native people used to use it as. <laughs> yeah, used to.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. You know. Natives used for skin problems. You know, well, that gives me a a, a clue. But when when you know the plants, when you have that relationship with them, you know, it's just like you get to know um, an animal, you know, that you're friends with, that you see all the time. You get to figure out its personality, even though it can't talk to you. Mm-hmm. And plants are just a little bit more subtle than that. So,
0: you know, something that comes up as we're saying all this, because it's, um, I think people are, you know, like, oh, okay, I, but the, um, when, you, when, when you're, you know, I can kind of understand where you're coming from, but... Um, I think what happens, maybe, and I'm asking you this as, you know, a teacher who does a lot of walks, who does a, who does a lot of classes and interacts with a lot of people just getting into this, is that th- there is a, uh, at some point along someone's interest level, there's a, a, a separation between them maybe just messing a little with store-bought tinctures and dried herbs and maybe going out and picking a few dandelion leaves and eating it, between that and actually feeling like getting rid of the fear to go out and, um, you know, experiment and to learn and establish more relationships. So what do you say to people to help them get over the, um, you know, the fear or the, or am I going to pick a poison? I, I, I did two walks last weekend and I, in both classes, I got the question about is, does, you know, when I showed them plantain, I think, and is there a poisonous look-alike? I always get that question. And, and right. then I go into a little spiel, but I want to hear your spiel.
1: Um. <laughs> If, if people are interested in plants and they feel really trepidatious about picking them, yeah. y- you want to say, like, go for something so familiar, like mm-hmm. strawberries.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, pick strawberry leaves. Make tea with strawberry leaf. Um, mint, you know. Like, you can just crush a mint. You can tell that it's mint. There's no confusing it. A lot of the culinary herbs, basil, um, they're so familiar to people that they make great entry points. You know, plantain is the great entry point into weeds. And into wild plants,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because it's uh, one of the things that I like about it so much. Is people can you know I don't know of anything that works as good for mosquito bites or spider bites or bee stings and plantain. You know, mm-hmm. there's other herbs that work great, but plantain is just so good at that. And so people can pick it, and they're more comfortable rubbing it on their skin. And then when they have the experience of like you know I went for a walk in the woods, I got eaten alive, I rubbed the stuff on, and then the next day I'm fine, they start to think like oh now what else can that you know wow. I just had this experience that I couldn't get from anything that I could buy in a store.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what else can that plant do? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but as, a, as a point of entry, you know, whatever's really familiar to people, you know, chamomile, uh, you know, things that you can grow from seed. But, but the mint family is, is so good for that because so many of them are cooking spices. And a lot of them, you can feel them work, you know. If you make a hyssop tea and you drink it when you have i – I'm sorry. If you make um, – Time tea, and you drink it when you have a cough or something, especially cold, damp cough. Right. You can really feel it work, and it's this very, very familiar plant that everyone feels safe using. And you can make your own tincture with it. You know, if you want, you can start off getting it in the, the fresh herb section of a grocery store. Okay, you pay a lot more than you need to. But, <laughs> and then from there, you can make little baby steps. But there's no, you know, one of the things about viewing everything as being experiential is that there's no competition there's no um, need to be like, I need to get to a certain point, or I need to you know learn this and learn that uh-huh. before I can do this. Uh-huh. You you play with it, and you learn a little bit. And if you're not attached to like thinking like I'm going to learn about herbalism and I want to do it in you know two years, well, right. you know, good luck. <laughs> you learn a little bit in two years. Actually, you probably learn a lot in two years, but you'll also learn how much you don't know. And you'll
0: forget a lot of what you learn <laughs> because you didn't experience and you just remembered yeah. facts. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But to just do that, I mean, Matthew Wood has uh, in his uh, Seven Herbs book this wonderful thing that says even if a person only knew two or three plants, they could have a very sound practice. It would be limited to what those plants can do, mm-hmm. but if they know them really well, it'd be a very sound practice. and so when people say like, oh, I'm interested in doing things for my family and my friends and all that, but I just, you know, I don't think that I'm going to go out into the woods or swamps picking turtle head with you. Um, I'm like, think if you, if you only learned mint and chamomile, how many things you could do
2: for your family
1: and friends in the course of a year. I mean, it's actually kind of astounding if you start tagging away at. All the different things you can do just knowing those two herbs. Yeah, throw in ginger and, then, and garlic, and you got the whole. <laughs> yeah, in, in the course of in the course of doing that, you end up learning stuff about working with plants, and then that makes it easier to learn more herbs. You know, mm. so you start with a couple herbs at once—the ones that you feel connected to, or drawn mm-hmm. to, or comfortable with—and then they end up leading you. You know, mm. it's uh, sometimes I say that. That I'm primarily self-taught, but that's really not true. It's I primarily like um, got picked up by the the herbs, and they, they basically led me around and you know taught me a bunch of stuff. And where,
0: where uh, do you re- how do you recommend people learn? Like you know, because the biggest fears they have is like, what if I do pick something poisonous or something? And how do you how do you where do you recommend they just kind of go in? Because there really isn't that many poisonous plants in the greater scope scope of things to really worry about. So I mean,
1: yeah, and. Very few things can hurt you or you. Right, commerce, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But there are, you know, like, we have water hemlock here. Mm
2: -hmm. We have that, too. And
1: people will will talk about, like, oh, that looks like Queen Anne's lace. Mm -hmm. And I can either take them out to where it's at, which is ideal, because if you see the two of them side by side, they don't, you know, they look kind of alike but not alike. But you can just say, uh, and this is something I learned from uh, some of Susan Weed's students, is that the queen has hairy legs. That all the parts of clean Anselaes have hair on them. The leaves have hair, the stems have hair, the seeds have hair. Mm. And none of the parts of water hemlock or, or poison hemlock have hair.
0: Right, exactly. And it's got you the know? purple so blocks. As soon as you know that, right.
1: if you're out there picking uh, clean Anselaes or wild carrot, and someone's like, oh, you got to be careful with that, you can just be like hair. you know.
2: Right, right, exactly. And,
1: and that's all there is to it. Um, and, and honestly, there's so many resources now. Uh, I live in Michigan and I live outside of Detroit. Um, I'm not actually close enough to Detroit. It takes me about an hour to get there. Yeah. And maybe a little bit longer. And you would think, with all of that populace there, it's one of the biggest cities in the world, that there would be a lot of herb people that I could learn from. And in the Detroit area, I personally know like two or three herbalists who teach classes. Hmm. And there's a, there's a couple more in Ann Arbor, you know, a few more in Ann Arbor that are are good herbalist and teach classes. But when I was learning, um, there was no internet. And so Ann Arbor seemed like it was really far away, you know, mm-hmm. what, it's like 45 minutes an hour away. But that yeah. uh, seemed like that was far away. There was no way for me to learn about some of the other people. So I only knew one herbalist and um, a phenomenal guy named Gary Wantaja, who has got a store called Nature's Products in Detroit. I would drive down there and he's got like a real deal herb shop. You go in there and it's not you know, products, it's jars. He's got like 300 jars of dried bulk herbs. Nice. And you go in there, but, you know, he's not like me. I, I can blather on for days, and, you know, he's a little bit more subtle. <laughs> but I would go in there, and sometimes he would give me some little tidbit, and sometimes, you know, uh, he would just say hi and bye. and Sometimes he would really lay out some, some really foundational ideas for me. Um, but nowadays, with the Internet, for as much as the, you know, um, how to say nicely, crap that's on there. <laughs> There's so many good resources available. Henriette Kress has, I mean, almost all of the seminal eclectic and physiomedicalist books on her site that anyone can look at for free. Right. So literally tens of thousands of pages of information that you could look up. It's some of the best information that can be had on Western Earth. You know, uh, Susan Weed has a forum, uh, Rebecca Hartman
2: in mm-hmm.
1: uh, West Virginia has a forum, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of really cool people have blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the AHG Herbalist. Henriette Cress has an a email Herbalist, and you've mm-hmm. got Herb Center.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: those are just such good resources for people who live in places, you know, still that there's not someone that they can go and personally take classes with. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of people um, who are phenomenal herbalists who will still be engaged in those open lists to anyone and, you know, they don't get tired of people asking how to make a tincture. You know, there are some... Uh, very good herbalists that just don't want to have their inbox you know their email filled up with those but you know i think that wow that was me at one time
0: yeah yeah well susan weed said if you if you don't like repeating yourself don't be a teacher
1: (laughs) (laughs) right and i remember i talked to rosemary gladstar i met her i don't remember what year it was maybe like 96 or 97 and uh i went down to this workshop in ohio it was the first you know herb workshop i'd ever been to and i've been you know using herbs for maybe four years or something, and I had just started teaching classes. And I got down there, and she was so humble and approachable uh, that I really admired that. You know, she didn't have any kind of, you know, discernible ego or, you know, I'm better than you or, oh, my God, not that question again, (laughs) which as a teacher is kind of hard not Mm -hmm. to express because sometimes you do feel like that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But um, I remember writing her a letter, and like months and months afterwards, you know, this is before email was so common, you know, she wrote me back. And that really just impressed me that she oh. hung on to that letter. Yeah. She took the time later on to do that. I, I sent her and a copy
0: of Wildcraft when it came out, and like three or four months later, I actually get a, a beautiful handwritten letter. Yeah, right, right. i a card. And... <laughs> just like, nobody does this anymore. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's just a really special person. And, and I asked her about it once, you know, and I told her just how much that meant. And she told me about how when she was getting into herbs, how she had written a letter to, you know, Juliette de Berkeley Leve.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And just sent it out, and how important it was that Juliet got back to her. Wow. And so, you know, when people send me emails or something, and I, you know, lately I've been so behind on stuff because it, it seems like there's nothing that I can do to keep my inbox below like 40 or 50 emails that mm-hmm. I need to look through.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you think about taking 10 minutes, you know, to look at and respond to each one or five mm-hmm. minutes, it's, you know, it's a pretty big chunk of time, but I do try and actually, you know, I save things. They get, you know, lost in the email, but I save things. And every once in a while, I try and go back and at least send something back to respond to them. Because I just think that's important to yeah. encourage. Because the people who are asking questions now, a lot of those people, they're asking questions because they're really interested in learning. Mm-hmm. And that they're going to be teaching someday. And you can't do anything better than to encourage them down that path. I mean, that's just a cool thing to do. Exactly and especially if you have your email on the internet you're just asking for it too
0: <laughs> well you know I personally the kind of that's one of the reasons with the forum I put the forum in herb mentor because mm-hmm. I felt that well like I can answer people's questions like I can get to so many people and that's where I can do it that's the place where I do it and, right because it is too much when you get a site that has a lot of traffic at least you can get you know you can you can reach people there and also i i personally like the forum platform like susan weeds or 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 all those ones it's because like it's a group mind effort you know yeah, like, and
1: you get completely different perspectives yeah
0: i like that because I, I i know something but i don't know everything obviously you know i yeah, I'm j- i kind of consider myself a more of a home herbalist medicine maker family herbalist level you mm-hmm. know and i can share what i know but i'm no expert that's why i enlist everyone else
2: to help me Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, there's few people like on, on the herbalist and herb forums that, mm. um, in some ways, I don't agree with at all. Mm-hmm. But in other ways, they are my favorite people to read their posts because, from their perspective, they're not just throwing out something that they've read before. They really have a strong rationale and reason for believing that, and they convey it well. Mm. And I like people whose ideas disagree with mine, you know, because yeah, yeah. that, that teaches me, that stretches me a little bit and makes me think about things differently. Right. Um, so that's one of the great things of that. Um, I, I usually say, I think on my site, it says somewhere, if you have a specific herb question, ask it on one of the forums. And that way, you know, if I don't get to it for several months, a bunch of other people do, mm-hmm. but even if I can answer it, it'd be, you know, for people who are learning to be exposed to different points of view, uh, and different perspectives and different approaches, I think, is, is wonderful because it, it broadens um, the amount of uh, perspectives that you're exposed to. Mm-hmm. And if you have more perspectives, you can't but get to know an herb uh, better or an idea better or a concept better. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, yeah, you know, that's great. That's another way to learn that I hadn't considered or thought about before. like that. That's really cool. I like that. Awesome. So speaking about getting to know or learn about plants a little better, um I'm wondering about, and we were talking about using your senses to learn about herbs and whatnot. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to um, how you help people learn about, like, the different properties of plants using your senses, you know, like, uh, you know, like the different chemical properties or whatnot and what actions and, you know, on that level. Like, how you go about um, from, you know, learning it from the plant all the way to figuring out what that means or what that's
1: about. Yeah, I think that um, if you look in most herb books, there'll be somewhere in the, you know, the glossary in the back or like an appendix, or some Mm -hmm. people are really cool and they put it right up in the front of the book Mm -hmm. that has something on herbal actions and properties.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And usually there's a long alphabetical list of, uh, you know, things that explain, you know, how herbs work. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so important, but I I sort of have a really grassroots, stripped-down understanding of, Mm -hmm. of that is that there are a few properties that I think are really important to understand. And then there are ones that, you know, they're kind of incidental. And it it can be confusing as to which those are, because if you say like, oh, you know, so-and-so cut himself and there's inflammation, or I have arthritis and there's inflammation, I need an anti-inflammatory. You open up a book and you look up anti-inflammatory, and, you know, the definition is basically something that eases inflammation. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's not much of a definition really, right. but you, couldn't, you, mean, you wouldn't need to look it up because you can just figure that out yourself. And it might say, you know, ginger, turmeric, blueberries, slippery elm, marshmallow. And if you, if you know those plants, you're like, wow, you know, ginger and turmeric really hot and spicy, blueberry, you know, cool and fruity, um, marshmallow and slippery elm are mucilaginous. The, the nature of those plants is, is very, very different.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, they're just not similar plants on an energetic level. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you don't know those plants, how would you decide which one to use? Exactly. You would just pick one out or whichever one you go to the store and see, you would use that. But, um, if, if you go to the, the, the more core level of the, uh, the foundational properties of herbs, Mm -hmm. it's things like, is an herb astringent, which means does it like dry and tighten and contract tissues, uh. A real, like my teaching example of that is like, you know, you're hungry, you see a banana, it looks a little bit green, but you think I'm hungry anyway and I'll eat it. And you put it in your mouth and take a bite out of it and your mouth dries up and tightens and puckers. Mm -hmm. Everyone's had that experience. Mm -hmm. That is astringency. And so if you know that experience on a visceral level, you know, because if I'm teaching in a class and I say astringent tones and tightened tissues has a drying effect and I see people writing it down. And they're not nodding or going, like, oh, I know what that means. Right. Then I say the banana thing, and they put their pen down and they nod, oh, okay. Because it's not their intellect writing it down and trying to memorize the definition, it's their body saying, oh, yes, I know what that is. You know, um, demulcents uh, or mucilaginous herbs are the ones that, when you uh, mix them with water, they get slimy and gooey, like slippery elm and marshmallow root are really mucilaginous. And what I do for students is I have them, you know, get some powdered slippery elm bark and, you know, put a couple tablespoons in a cup of water mm-hmm. and stir it up or shake it up and let it sit until it gets goopy and then rub it on their skin because you can actually feel viscerally like, oh, wow, this coats the skin. It's slippery, so it's lubricating, and it's it feels cool and soothing. And so you feel that. You understand what that is. Um, you know, if you drink uh, some really good, strong, cold, nettle tea, you will understand what a diuretic is because it's like, you know, one cup in, three cups out. (laughs) Um, And you do that with these core uh, properties, you know, um, with some other ones, some like uh, relaxant herbs. Uh, I like that term better than antispasmodic because most relaxants don't just work on spasm, they work on tension. Oh. You know, they tend to be things that are, uh, they're either aromatic in flavor, like a lot of the mint family. mm -hmm. Or they have an acrid flavor, and the acrid flavor ones tend to be a little bit stronger and to work more specifically on spasms. You think about Lobelia or Kava Kava Mm -hmm. as being acrid antispasmodics. But most of the mint family, you know, if you've got tension in your digestive tract and drink mint tea, oh, you can feel that release and let go. Mm -hmm. Um, Herbs that are aromatic, and that would be most of our cooking spices, um, they're things that aromatics, because they have essential oils in them, they tend to be antimicrobial. They tend to be uh, anti-inflammatory because that's just in the nature of essential oils. Um, they often tend to be diuretic because if those oils are processed by the body, they go through the kidneys and the kidneys basically say like, "Oh, this juniper is stinky. I want to get rid of it." And so it increases the volume of uh, urine. So they has a flushing action to get that oil out of the body. And then that urine being concentrated or that oil being concentrated in the urine, Will have an antiseptic action on the urinary tract, so that makes them good for urinary tract infections. Oh. Um, and all essential oil, all aromatic plants, are dispersive of something. Okay, so you can think about like thyme or hyssop or sage is a decongestant. Okay, so if you apply aromatic to the respiratory tract, you can say, you know, they're decongestants so or they're expectorants. They disperse that uh, congested phlegm in the lungs or the upper sinuses or something. And the digestive tract, they are called carminatives. Um, They help to disperse tension and to uh, break, uh, you know, trap gas out of the digestive tract. And even for, like, the senses, um, if you make a tincture of fresh basil, and it doesn't need to be holy basil, just regular garden fresh basil, um, it's really good for brain fog. It disperses that that congested uh, thinking, that congested processing in the brain. Or in the mind uh, is maybe a better term to use. And so all of that you can figure out just from being able to, with your senses, tell that the plant is aromatic. You're like, okay, I know it's going to disperse something. I know it's going to have some degree of anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial action. It's very likely to be a diuretic and probably an antiseptic that I could use for urinary tract infections. It's probably going to help break up congestion in the lungs or the respiratory system without having to look anything up. Just by using your senses like that. Okay. Um, another foundational property would be bitters. You know, um, Bitters are stimulating. Um, they basically uh, increase the secretion of almost all of the fluids and processes uh, in the digestive tract to get more saliva, more acid, more digestive enzymes, uh, increase in uh, bile production and flow and release, uh, increase in pancreatic enzymes, and all of that improves your ability to break down the food that you eat so that when it gets into the small intestine, it is absorbed better because it's been more thoroughly broken down. Okay. Um, it's, it's also grounding because it has a downward energy. Mm-hmm. And that's just not in you know, downward down your body with your digestion, but it helps to take um, too much mental activity and thinking and using your intellect, brings it down into the rest of the body. So those people who are ungrounded, bitters can really help for them. Uh, And then the digestive tract actually produces a lot of your uh, neurotransmitters that are related to mood. And so many uh, bitters will have either a calming, uh, and this goes along with grounding, but a calming or grounding or even antidepressant effect. You know, some people, their mood uh, instability or their lack of uh, feeling calm or their anxiety stems from problems in their digestive tract. And if you see sluggishness in the digestive tract, and you also see like this anxiety or unsettled energy in their, their nervous system or in their mind or their thinking, or their emotional life, you know that that's a good thing to give bitters to. And oh. again, bitters are something that you can just taste the plant and know all these things that it can do. Wow. And, and so those are the, the foundational properties. And then, you know, going back to anti-inflammatory, you would say like, oh, well, I know that the anti-inflammatory uh, using marshmallow or slippery elm would be good when there's irritation or inflammation of tissues because that soothing mucilage will coat it and soothe it and provide a uh, lubricating barrier. I know that, uh, you know, if someone's got poor peripheral circulation and their, their cold extremities and uh, the, the warming things like turmeric and ginger make sense. And so these uh, these foundational properties really make something like anti-inflammatory makes sense, and they help to teach you how to choose between the herbs, uh, it becomes real and not just something that you're memorizing and then recalling.
0: Right, because uh, it you know, gets visceral. on that visceral level. Yeah,
1: visceral is the right word. It's just it, your body understands it. It's just like
0: body. we talked about earlier about the plants, uh, you know, getting to know them on the sensory level, you know.
1: Right. It's the same right. thing. And that's, that's the way that plants communicate to people. Uh, David Winston does a phenomenal workshop. It's really one of the best that I've been to. Um, And if you can go where he's doing it, as an intensive or a long class or Mm -hmm. even a weekend class. It's called Talking Leaves. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he goes through and he takes all of this. And he says um, something that I totally agree with is that it's not, um, you know, whether you're using the doctrine of signatures or flavors or um, intuitive stuff that people just pick up intuitively from plants, it's not any isolated epiphany that you get or understanding that you get that says, oh, well, this plant has yellow flowers, so it must be good for your liver.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, oh, it's got yellow flowers and it has a bitter taste. You know, there's two things that point in the same direction. And the more that you get to understand these sensory cues, the more things you can see pointing all in one direction. And that just firms up your body's uh, innate ability to understand it's like, oh, okay, I know what that's good for. Okay, And that's really what you want to strive for. You, you can't do that unless you really have that personal relationship with the plants you know so if you're taking capsules of stuff and you can't taste it you can't see what it looks like you're missing out on you know a bunch of the different ways that that plant can communicate with you it would be kind of like if someone were to meet you but they were to say okay you can't talk to this person (laughs) you know and you need to keep your face neutral so they can't read any facial expressions that you're doing we're like down.
0: showing a video of you or something,
1: where you were. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Or they could
0: interact sensually; they can only watch it. You know,
1: I mean, isn't is the greatest thing about like when you go to herb conference or you meet people that you've met online? You can put like a voice and a body and a personality to the stuff that they're writing, and then afterwards you have so much of a better sense of them yeah and that's kind of like what it's like when you're learning plants you learn them out of books and there might be something you're like oh this plant is really interesting to me
0: well it's interesting it's actually i never thought about that before because it's interesting like because early on in learning i i was uh lucky enough to get a see a weekend workshop uh my mentors uh at ravencroft garden i uh, hosted Stephen Buner in seattle and i uh-huh. and ever since i saw then spent a weekend with him even though it was just a weekend you know um, any new books he came out with, I felt like I digested and really got better because I could kind of imagine him.
1: Right, right. you got a better sense of His voice and, and his
0: and tone, tone and his, you know, like, you know, there's that, you know,
1: thing. Right, yeah. It, it enriches just the one aspect of it that you had previously known. Right. And, and like I said, it works the same with plants. And you know, there was, I remember reading, you know, back in like what, 1994, about kava kava, mm-hmm. and you know, it wasn't big then, you know, and it was really hard to come by. And I was like, this stuff just sounds really interesting to me. And then, of all places, I was in a gas station, and you know, they have those, you know, usually ginseng and bee pollen and all that. You know, mm-hmm. sitting at the thing, and I saw kava kava, and I was like, oh my goodness, look at that! And I, um, I bought it. And I probably paid too much for it. <laughs> and I taped it. and It didn't work all that well, mm-hmm. but tasting it did something, you know, it's like, Oh, wait, yeah, you know, there's something in here, you know, this crappy product, but there's something in this crappy product that I think I really like. And then, you know, nowadays I get mine from a, a uh trading post in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. A guy named John Fowler and his wife Rebecca run that. Mm-hmm. And you get really good kava by them. You can order, you know, different varieties of it. And I just like kava. I've had dried roots, I've had fresh roots. I haven't actually seen the plant, but I've chopped up the roots by hand, you know, occasionally like I remember four pounds and a night one time
2: hmm. you
1: know and the cross section of the root and the feel of it you know different plants feel different when you're chopping it up so that's even another thing is that when you're processing your plants and if you just put a plant in a coffee grinder or you want to make a tincture and you have fresh roots and you throw them in a blender and blend it all up mm-hmm. well when you do that you miss an opportunity to really connect with that plant at a different level mm-hmm. whereas if you sit down and you say you know and sometimes you can't do that that's fair enough you know, we've people have busy lives and they say, well, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this. But if you can, you know, stay up, don't have the TV on, you know, um, don't necessarily be listening to music or something that's distracting and chop the root up. And that process of feeling what the root feels like or what the leaves feel like or whatever, um, looking at the cross-section, you know, as you're handling it, it goes through your skin, the aroma of it will, you know, kind of permeate your consciousness you get just this deeper understanding of the plant. All those little ways that you interact with the plant all connect together and, and enrich the way that you understand the plant.
0: Exactly. Wow. That is just amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, sharing that i mean gosh you know because i mean now people are you know listening to this or seeing uh, even a deeper way to learn and trying to drive that home and the importance of that but i love how you just so eloquently put all that together which is um i'm gonna have to listen to this recording again and again help my own <laughs> teaching and describing all of this because it's just um that's that's it right there yeah, um
1: it, yeah are we out of time or
0: oh, no we can keep talking
1: <laughs> there's, a plant that, there's a plant that i use um And I don't use it myself because I don't need it, but it's called Yerba Manza. It grows out in the southwest, Mm -hmm. and I originally got it because one of the first, you know, stubborn cases I started working on uh, when I was learning about herbs was um, chronic sinusitis that my, my girlfriend, now wife, had, you know, had past tense at the time, mm-hmm. and I started, you know, I mixed up some, some herbs together, and the formula got more and more complicated, and, you know, I think that at one point in time, I had made something that worked better than anything over-the-counter that you can get, um, and I would make it up for her, and she would use that instead, and that worked great, and then at a certain point, um, I was reading through, and this is when I realized I was like a total nerd when it came to herbs. I was reading <laughs> Michael Moore's little clinical thing of specific indications, which mm-hmm. is just a texted document, so no formatting, just you know one font, capital letters or small letters, um, Latin names and short little snippets of you know some uh, you know fragments of specific indications it used for. And I was just going you know, line by line by line reading through it, and I came across this uh, plant, Amnimopsis, and you know it was like that one plant had everything that I was trying to get in this formula. And so I searched around because I just discovered the Internet, and I found uh, a source first to get it from, uh, and I got it for her. And it worked wonders. I mean, it was just really absolutely amazing, and it's become one of the prime herbs that I use for uh, chronic sinusitis. And at another point, I decided, like, well, this is from another part of the country. I'd rather use something local, you know. And I tried to switch on people. They didn't want to switch because that one works so well. But whenever I would get it, I would chop it up and process it by hand. And because it's good for, like, cold, damp, uh, stagnant, congested sinusitis Mm -hmm. specifically, Mm -hmm. um, and and I am hot and dry, and it's hot and dry, or warming and drying, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: by the time I got done chopping up, you know, a pound or two pounds of it, I would just be, like, parched and shriveled, (laughs) you know, with, with no fluids in my mucous membranes anymore, you know. It would almost take me, like, a day to recover. I started actually, I would make, like, marshmallow tea, or some demulcent tea or violet leaf tea is really good, um, and drink it before and after I was going to chop it up mm. just to counteract it. So even though it wasn't good for me, it wasn't you know, the plant that I needed, mm. oh, I have this like, indelible understanding of the way that that plant acts from, from doing all that by hand and, and chopping it and cutting it. Um, and that helps me understand when to use it, uh, even though it's not a plant that I need to use or you know, really can use a whole lot myself.
0: Wow. Wow. We definitely, well, we definitely need to have you back to talk about some specific plants, as well as some things that are huge that, you know, I just had notes on, hey, never know if we, some people, you know, you're a wonderful talker, and some people uh, give me two sentence (laughs) things, so I always have backup questions. Uh, well, that's, but that's another like when you're
1: teaching a class and you go any questions and you get like crickets in the background yeah exactly because
0: and you, you, and you let a half hour for questions you know so so like uh, I uh, we'll have to well, I want to have you back sometime because I want to definitely talk about you know um, something like like if we get into some more health things because aircraft org has some wonderful very detailed articles such as uh this one that helped me out a lot that you you went out had uh, my back went out and, and you put on your my facebook page here go check this out because i put on a right, little right. status oh my back went out and there you were with the answer and that helped me a lot understand what was going on with, you know information that i couldn't you know didn't see anywhere else to understand what was happening on my back um and so i'd like to get into some of that and i'd like to like get into some more plants and you know, But what's cool is that I will be able to follow you around in the field. So uh, folks listening to this will get to know you a little more and get to see you. So if they're kind of getting to know you a little better, or a little by little, as you would have planned. So first we're going to read Jim's posts in the forum. Then we're going to hear his voice on our Mets radio. Then we're going to see him. And that's all leading up to the chance when you get to meet Jim in person. And then you're going to have to fly to Michigan, right? And you can tell us about your classes that you uh, that you do.
1: Well, I teach around southeast Michigan uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit. Uh, I usually do, you know, ser- it, as soon as it gets nice enough to teach, and actually, as soon as things are up out of the ground, um, I'm outside doing walks mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, pointing stuff out to people in and, and all kinds of places, you know, in urban environments and country environments, in yards, mm-hmm. uh, in local state parks. And uh, there's a really wonderful resource in southeast Michigan called Upland Hills Ecological Awareness Center. Mm-hmm which in some ways, I mean, it teaches so many different um, approaches on sustainability from, like, health and wellness aspected of things. They do a Native American ceremony there. Um, they teach about solar energy and energy efficiency and all that. So that's been a cool place. But um, that, that land has been so good to me, you know, over the years that I've been teaching. It's just always provided for me, and um, I love uh, when people come out to that. Um, but I also, you know, do travel around to other parts of the state. I've been up to Traverse City. I've been up to Grand Rapids. I've been up in Thumb and up in the UP a little bit um, doing classes. And when people call me up and they say, you know, uh, things like, hey, you know, how would you like to come down to the Gulf Coast in March and, and you know, teach a class for a weekend? If, if I can make it happen, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, so it, it's kind of like, you know, if you want to have, especially if you live in like Hawaii, mm-hmm next to a kava farm (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're there yeah send me an email (laughs) and probably all you need to
0: do is give you plane tickets (laughs) Uh (laughs) don't Um, even pay you know just the plane tickets
1: (laughs) yeah and and basically if if i can make it work um i'll make it work you know um that said I'm a much better teacher and talker and presenter than I am a scheduler. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes a little bit of back and forth (laughs) emails and all that to make something happen.
0: But you're very available on on uh, herbcraft.org. You know your phone number, your email address is there. You also do
1: consultations over the phone or you do? Yeah, I do. I don't do them so much over the phone unless Mm -hmm. it's something that's not too complicated. So like if someone calls me up and they like say like, oh, I have lupus and chronic fatigue syndrome and, you know, I think I might have a, a tumor in my brain and, and all that. Well, that's a situation where I try and see if I can connect them to someone who is in their area.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if it were something really specific that's not like a whole complicated, you know, whole body situation, which most things are, but especially like back injury type stuff, mm-hmm. um, because I'm I'm pretty good at that. And it's not so much have to do with like, oh, what's your digestion doing? You know, it's like, right. no, I was doing my tire and the car fell off the jack. You know, right. okay, your diet doesn't really play into, you know, your, the car might have fallen because you have sluggish liver function. <laughs> it's tempting to say that, but it's probably not the case.
2: Um,
1: but uh, you know, I just I I do my best to be available. Um, primarily, I work with students and. Uh, referrals, uh, people that have been to classes, because that, it's sort of, it's not that it weeds out people, Mm -hmm. but it helps me work with the people that I can help the most, because I do have young kids, and I I seemingly have like 30 other jobs that I'm constantly, you know, working and trying to make things fit. I mean, even coordinating with you, with uh, two guys that had small children you know is is a lot of work right i know Uh, we were
0: talking about before we started how okay my kids are out with kimberly and then they're going to a class and then yours are got to organize so in order to get an hour phone call here and both of us have to do all this schedule juggling. yeah but i I like
1: to i like to think about you know like is the person that i'm going to do a consultation with am Mm -hmm. i going to be really a person who who adds something special with that and and Mm -hmm. if it if it ends up that someone is going to talk to me and and most of their concerns is that, you know, say, like, they have type 2 diabetes, mm-hmm. and most of their concerns is diet. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people that can do that just as well or better than I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to really sort of, like, you know, take clients that I feel like are a good fit. Mm-hmm. You know, And maybe that's because I'm not, you know, I don't have as much experience to be, like, the great herbalist who's so good at everything. mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, you know that's that's what works for me now. And,
0: um, what about I'm um, thinking? Thank you for explaining that. What about uh, I'm thinking? I was one other question I want to ask you. Do you ever think about uh, what, you got got a book in your future or something like that? I oh, mean, I
1: have three books that um, people be like, oh, I saw on your website you're working on a book, and I was like, yeah, I read that too. <laughs> <laughs> it all came to a screeching halt when I had children. Oh. Really? Um, yeah, <laughs> go figure. But I'm, I'm kind of working on, well, I'm, I'm, but we're definitely working on two books right now. One is, is, is going to be eventually like a multi series um, medicinal plants of the Great Lakes region. Oh, and nice. I'll probably break that up into habitats. My, my current plan at the moment, and it's been revised several times, so it could certainly change, is to start off with like um, lawn weeds and field dwelling plants. And do, and it's been revised several times, so it could certainly change. Is to start off with like um, lawn weeds and field dwelling plants um, Mm -hmm. and do a whole bunch of plants along that range and have more specific information about each individual plant that I cover. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then go into like, you know, um, mixed hardwood forests and then go into like wetland type areas and then, you know, coniferous forests to really cover the bioregion. Okay. You know, not like that's not a huge endeavor. It might have something to do with.
0: Consume their lives. They don't even have kids, you know? I mean, it's just like. It's very
1: hard. Um, yeah. It's it's mainly hard because you write something down and you come back to it in several months and you're like, oh, I figured out a better way to say that. And you keep revising and revising right. and revising and right. revising. Right. Um, but the other book I have is probably going to be on this, this notion that I talked about earlier of like foundational properties.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because what I found is that People learn about herbs, and they learn about it on a more superficial level, and then they get to a certain point, and then they want to go back, and they want to learn energetics. Mm. And so there are a lot of people who are teaching energetics as like, oh, this is a more advanced class. Mm -hmm. And my take on it is that that's the foundational class. That should be your starting material. Mm -hmm. And you basically present it, and if it's over their heads, by the time they get to the end of the class, you're going to have repeated it and and reapplied that information so many times that it becomes... Um, the foundational information that they they work everything with. You know know
0: what we could do? I don't know if you're up for it and that we could, like if you're working on a book in that area, is that we could work it out in a mini course like on Herb Mentor, have conversations. Like that's what Heather does in the newer Village Herbalist series. Is Mm -hmm. All that will eventually be books. You know, and then she's kind of working it out by, like, step by step, you know, working it into little, (laughs) So who knows, maybe we can work together on that.
1: Yeah, that would be certainly a possibility I'd be interested in because the more that I think about it and, you know, one of the great things about interacting with people is, you know, I think to myself, like, oh, I've got the greatest way to explain this, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because I I love analogies. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you throw out an analogy and no one gets it. Right, And so you get blank looks, or if it's online, you get people re- you know replying by saying, what did you mean, huh? Mm-hmm. And I don't get that. And another time you can say something like, a, a good example, it's actually one of my, my current favorites, is they'll say, oh, I have arthritis, and I want to take an anti-inflammatory. What anti-inflammatory should I take? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, that depends on the cause of the arthritis, because if you just take an anti-inflammatory, even if it works, okay, and it doesn't address the cause of the problem, Mm -hmm. you're not doing yourself a favor. So if you had arthritis because you didn't have enough um, fluid in the body and the joints specifically, Mm -hmm. so there's dryness, there's not enough lubrication, the inflammation is coming from the fact that you've got friction of one tissue surface on another, and that's creating heat and damage, and the inflammation is resulting from that, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take an anti-inflammatory that just turns off the inflammation process, you allow that underlying condition to persist, mm-hmm. and you'll end up, you know, you don't have the pain anymore. You don't have the swelling because you've stopped the process, but you're having tissue damage because the dryness is still there. Oh. And what the analogy is, is that it would be like you wake up at night because your fire alarm is going off. And you get out of bed, and you walk into your kitchen, and your kitchen is on fire. And you say, oh, how am I going to sleep with that fire alarm going off? And you get on a chair, and you take the battery out of the fire alarm. And then you go back to bed and you don't do anything about the fire, <laughs> you know. And and what I find is that those kinds of ways of putting it to people mm-hmm. make an idea, even if they're not factual or perfect or they, you know, they loosely convey the idea, people understand it better than if you get down to the nitty-gritty and explain what all the enzymes and hormones are doing in a, you know uh, – a very specific physiological way because you do that and people write it down, but they don't really get it. You do the fire alarm thing and people understand it and they retain that. They remember that story Mm -hmm. and then they pass it on and it gets spread around. And then that changes the way that they think about things.
2: Yeah, You know,
1: they think, wow, am I just taking the batteries out of the fire alarm? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Or am I looking at the fire and saying, like, how do I put this fire out? Exactly. You know?
0: Wow, that's really, so many things. That's great. Thank you for that, too. That's another, uh, that's a good point. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Well, that's
1: a good one. You know, I like when people pass those ideas around. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, Ed Smith has something, and he has, I think, a podcast and a blog that he never, Ed Smith is the guy who owns Herb Farm, oh. um, a blog that he almost never updates, but he has some <laughs> recordings on there. And one of them that I absolutely love, he talks about, wild indigo baptisia tinctoria
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he says it's good for inflammation that's really low grade and, and it's there and it's causing problems that you can't tell and then he says it's like a fire that's out but the coals are hot
2: oh. and i
1: love i absolutely love that you know oh. it's like you hear those analogies and you just you get it you don't need oh. to remember any kind of like fancy terminology or anything like that it just right. it clicks in and you understand the concept the idea of what it is
0: you know jim you know i really appreciate you taking your time today and uh and i hope you know everyone listening just gets a little deeper understanding about um how to go about establishing deeper relationships with plants and understanding properties and all that and i really look forward to you know kind of growing this relationship in the future and then yeah of well it'll be super to you. see with the
1: ihs
0: yeah it'd be awesome so uh you know jim mcdonald's really been a pleasure and we're uh looking forward to yeah meeting you in june and uh It would be great to have you back sometime.
1: All right. Have a beautiful evening.
0: Yeah, you as well. Bye-bye. So long. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio copyright all rights reserved thanks so much for listening